If you had a choice, how would you communicate the following? You want to wish someone a happy birthday. I'd start with a birthday text. Never Facebook. Uh, need to borrow money. That would have to be in person. Or just let someone know that you don't want to communicate right now. I have logged into the worst form of communication to let you know that you are garbage to me. Hey, I'm Sean Bowers. And I'm George Huffnagel. And this is Jelly Vision's Talking Better. In today's conversation, we're learning how to better pick modes of communication. You're a writer. You think a lot about how you say things. Yeah. But do you think a lot about how you choose to communicate them? What medium is best? Yeah. Yeah. I have tried to say so many things in my life that started as one thing and I was wildly confident and it I could just never say it. I could never get it out there. Do you have an example? Uh, I used to do that was a live show called The Goldfish Project and it was where I would... I went undercover as a woman on online dating sites, and I talked to a bunch of guys, and I, I, it was a thing I called goldfishing, which was a takeoff on catfishing, which was that there were very strict rules, and you were only portraying yourself as someone else for the purpose of entertainment, and you would try to just, like, hook them for as long as you can and then cut bait and see wh- how much absurdity they would follow. And so I had all these conversations that I had done. I had all these transcripts of these things, and I was like, I don't know the best way to get this out into the world. I tried a live show and that went well for a while. and It was like a live reading thing. And then years later, I was like, oh, shit, that would have been a way better podcast. It was a problem because the thing in and of itself never quite revealed the best way to communicate it. And that made it hard to communicate it. I, I guess that's like a kind of like a, a post hoc anal- analysis of it. Yeah. But like when you have a thought or like an idea, how do you, how do you go about thinking which which mode of communication is most appropriate? Maybe it's just a way of rephrasing what we were talking about before then, because it's it's like you pick the mode of communication based on who is listening. If I have an idea or something I want to say, I will look at the modes of communication available to me and A, try to figure out which one is the easiest way to say what I want to say and the most clear way to say what I want to say, and then pursue that until it gets too hard and then pick one of the other ones that's even easier or clearer. Sometimes you can't choose the mode of communication. You have to pick one and it's not the best one. And then it's like, how do you port one mode of communication to another and not have it turn into this completely new beast? I think the question is, how much forethought can you put into action? Yeah. And making sure that you're choosing your best channel. I'd be curious if there's an ideal mode of communication for different situations. Like if you are breaking up with somebody, everybody always bemoans being broken up with by text and says that's not the best way to do it. But is it actually an okay way to do it? Because at least then the other person doesn't have to sit there like a dipshit while you're saying, I'm going to break up with you. And like, I don't know, they get to think about their response and do the little dot, dot, dot typing, I'm typing for 40 minutes thing. And and that puts the stress on the other person. Like, there's a little bit of payback built into that. Maybe that's nice for people breaking up. I don't know. Maybe there's things that need to, would have been nice to have resolved in person. Yeah. To hear. I'm sure like, conflict I- resolution is always like a, I mean, that's even here at Jelly Vision. That's like the thing, right? Is that you're not, you're supposed to like. Just sit down with a person if, if something's The schmutz pact? Yeah, the schmutz, the schmutz pact. What, what's the schmutz pact to you? Basically, if someone has schmutz on their face, you tell them they got schmutz on their face. And emotionally, if somebody is schmutzing up their work, then you should be comfortable enough 
to go, hey, you being a schmutz, stop it. Clean your face emotionally, you know? <laughs> but that's hard to do. Should I slack somebody that there's that there's schmutz all over their work? Or should I sit down and have schedule a meeting with them? Should I should I secondhand schmutz or do I wait till the 360 I feel like you reviews? violated the pact at that point. I don't know. I didn't make a pact with anybody. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> this pact was made on my behalf and maybe I'm the schmutz. This is just a, a warning shot to all of our coworkers <laughs> to please never tell me I'm doing something wrong or I will shut down permanently and I won't know what to do. Oh, man. Just in, include that. How you that. get through the day, I don't know, Sean. It really is. This series is just drawing out for me how dysfunctional <laughs> I am on a day-to-day basis and how alien communication actually is to me. Better get talking. So talking better. It's better talking. It's better than talking. Better not talking. Better get talking. Better talking. So talking better. Talking better. It's better talking. Better talking. It's better than talking. Better not talking. I want to start out by reading some statistics to you. Please do. It's one of my favorite activities. I'll read three things. Okay. You tell me what you think of these. These are uh, stats from 2016. 26% of employees think email is a major productivity killer. Okay. 43% of job seekers under 45 think texting is a professional way for recruiters to communicate with talent. Wrong. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. We'll we'll get to all these. And then 46% of employees rarely or never leave a meeting knowing what they're supposed to do next. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. That that first one I went dead silent on because I I was like emails a productivity killer. I think it depends on the job. I think it's if maybe if you're getting hit with like a bagillion emails a minute, uh I don't tend to feel that pressure. My takeaway from this, though, is the first stat, you know, is a quarter of people, which is not insignificant. But even the second and third pieces show that people are divided on ways to communicate and what they get out of it. Yeah. And we're going to find that being a theme through the back half of this conversation. Oh. What I hope we can come to terms with is how to address the diversity of communication skills Mm -hmm. and needs and expectations. So one thing we didn't talk about at the beginning is like your just general favorite way to communicate. What do you think is your favorite mode? I like chat or chat-like systems. So chat or like an ongoing text message chain or like a group chat. I like the idea that the communication never stops. There's no defined beginning or end to it and that it could be picked up at any moment. The first person I talked to, uh, Megan Kutz, mm. fellow coworker. She's our, one of our key accounts managers. What a communicator. Right. So here is her preferred way to communicate. It's definitely face-to-face. I'm very much a conversationalist. Face-to-face. She's good at emails, though, I'll tell you that. That's right. All right. And so what's your least favorite way, would you say? As the anti-Megan, possibly a direct face-to-face conversation. <laughs> No, that can't be true. It might be email then, just okay. because of the pressures put onto it. All right. So the other person I want to introduce you to is our uh, fellow writer-director, Megan Manley. Yes. Here's her least favorite way to communicate, talking about some FaceTime. We always FaceTime my dad and my stepmom. 
and they're filming the space between their heads. And we're always like, come on, guys. Like, why are, why do we even do this? Yeah. No. Okay. No, I forgot that was a method of communication. That is it. FaceTime is bad. It. We should not be trying to put FaceTime devices on robots and segues like we seem to want to do. But it's always stuttery. It's just not good. So we already have three group, you know, three types of people here. Yes. With three di- very different approaches yeah. to how we communicate. So um, our expert, we didn't have to go far for this one. My name is Kelly Dean, and I am the SVP of people here at Jelly Vision. Who knows more about communicating with people than the senior than vice a president? people person. Right. Uh, I asked her if she could tell me kind of the breadth of everything she does in her job, because I think it helps frame yeah. where she's coming from. There is some of the work that people probably predict is included in the HR work, which is like crisis management, handling employee relations issues and helping support when somebody's not performing in their role. Like, what do we do? And then a really big part of my work, which is the more proactive, I think, more fun work and fulfilling work is, you know, helping to drive employee engagement, helping to drive leadership development and create programs and processes to do that. Um, And then also like to take it a step further, like really talent plan, like look ahead and say, What's our business? Who and how much talent are we going to need to do that? Um, Who's internally ready to do that? What may we need to find externally to support that work? Um, So it's kind of that's the gamut of all the work. Seems like she's doing a a shit ton of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So I I said, so I said, tell me, like, how do you talk to all these different people throughout the day? I use Slack all day long, which I find very distracting, but also very helpful. Um, And then obviously email, but mostly in-person communication. Like I spend almost every day in back-to-back meetings, like talking to people directly. She can probably do less communication because she's doing them all in person, because you need a minimum like 30-minute block to do an in-person communication that is pre-scheduled. With email, I can pretend like I'm having one-on-one conversations, or Slack, I can pretend like I'm having one-on-one conversations, but have 10 of them at the same time, and people don't know that I'm cheating on them with other chat threads, you know? Yeah, but then they're all cheating on you, too. Well, yeah, and I don't care. We're swingers, baby. (laughs) You know? Talking better. Better talking. So let's get into, like, how we handle all this. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with a term called the actor-observer asymmetry? I considered saying yes to seem intelligent, but no, I am not familiar. You might be, but maybe you're not. Yeah, maybe I just don't know the cool. Sure. I'm sure you've experienced this. Yeah. The errors we make when forming attributions about the behavior of others. So, like, for instance, when you judge your own behavior, Mm -hmm. you are more likely to attribute your actions to the situation in particular than a generalization about your character. But you are less likely to do that for other people. I assume that the way somebody's acting in a moment is just who they are and not a specific act that they're putting on for a scenario. Kelly, you know, mentioned this a bit when we talked about it. For some reason, because we are inside our own minds, we know why we're coming across that way or feeling that way. But with others, you just don't know unless you know them. And I think until you build that rapport, like in a relationship with them, you know, like I think about some of my closest friends or family or people that I know really closely. I know them well enough to know and I've had enough experiences with them where I see like they may be acting that way, but I know that's not what they who they are, what they mean. And we're going to find this coming up throughout this conversation is having empathy. 
um, not only empathize, but build relationships. To continue this line of thinking, Kelly talked a little bit about how our perceptions shift based on our relationships. You know, I think that you can meet, like, for instance, you could meet somebody in person and think that they're, like, lovely and jovial and approachable. And the way I, I had somebody like this that would write an email to me, and I felt like I was being scolded. But in person, they were so pleasant, but they were just very direct in the way that they wrote email communication, not not even including hellos or goodbyes or anything. They would just write a statement and oh, the period, and that was it. <laughs> and so... Even though I knew this person and knew them not to be that way, I always hated receiving. I just had a really hard time receiving email communication uh, from them. But I think where you see the biggest issues is people who don't take the time to sort of build the relationship and understand that person. And then whatever type of communication is, that's being used, maybe in a way that they don't appreciate it, they assume the worst. This, uh, I feel like, is something that we used to deal with a lot with, like, client work. We would try to put an in-person meeting. We would try to, like, fly out sometimes or whatever to a client, even if they weren't local or uh, something like that, to get that FaceTime in to sort of build that trust or that relationship so that everybody can look each other in the eyes and see, like, oh, you are a human being who's on the other end of this thing. So then three weeks later when I get a weird terse email from you, I know that you actually are a human being who can smile, but you may just not be good at email and I can sort of plaster over my perceptions of you because of what I had established before. Yeah. And you might, like you said, you hate email. Yeah. So you might speak in a way through email that's considered efficient for you. Sure. That might come off to someone like me. It's like being a dick. But see, that's the thing, though, is that also that like what she was citing there of the example of, well, the person who's like great in person but doesn't send email very well. I do think that it is the responsibility of the person a little bit to have that self-awareness. I talk about self-awareness a lot, but like I like to think that my communications across text, email, in person, whatever, share a similar voice. It's a, a weird, overwrought. Uh, I use a lot of exclamation points in my emails so that they sound kind of similar to how I talk in real life. Uh, and I use a lot of stupid made up words. But like it's because I want that consistency there so that people don't aren't perceiving me as one person in one venue and another person in another. I'm going to push back against you here with with Megan Kutz's. Please feedback. do. She talks about code switching and mm. needing to change her mo her way of communicating. I present myself and deliver messages differently to you than I would say to someone else, you know, to Kelly, right? And that's also another reason why I like face-to-face -face communication so much is because it allows me to get to know you so that I know how to approach you in the future. Honestly, my context for code switching is in the context of, like, racial communication is where I've read about a lot of it of, like, specifically like within the African-American community and people mm -hmm. feeling like they have to code switch going talking to a white friend versus talking to a black friend or something like that or work setting or something. I guess I had never really considered that you're code switching not just in cultural terms but in like setting and different things like that. Yeah. The gradient shifts, I think, depending on the situation. Yeah. But yeah, you're right about that particular example for sure. Talk better. Talk better. One of the broad questions you asked before was, how do we choose the proper mode? Yeah. What what strategy? How I talk. Kelly is is on it with this a little bit. I think you have to ask yourself, what is the point of what you're trying to communicate? If it is to just inform, 
then I think an email's fine. Like, I think sometimes we overuse meetings just to inform people of stuff. So I think, like, you have to ask yourself, like, what's, what, what is the intent of this communication? Is it to inform? Is it to educate? Is it actually to, like, I'm bringing up this topic and I want to communicate this thing because it's something we have to solve for? Obviously, to me, that's an in-person. If it's like, I just need a quick answer to this thing, then, yeah, Slack is great. But I think it's just being aware. Like, so having the intention of what you think it is, but also being willing to change direction if you see that that method didn't really result in the way that you wanted it to. I think she's got life figured out. That whole line about people do too many meetings, I just want to get that tattooed on my cheek or something. <laughs> Butt cheek, I should specify. But uh, yeah, that's like spot on. Too many meetings, man, for yeah. not enough content. You got you to gotta have some meat if you want to meet. You know what I mean? That's a really good. I just made that up, and that was that was episode. good. <laughs> I should, God. So once you choose what you're going to use to communicate, the question might be, well, what do I put in that communication yeah. to get that across? Every time I go to communicate something new, I literally ask myself, like, am I answering the what, why, how, when, where, all of that? I think about that every time, like. For people to believe in it, they need to know why we're doing this. And then they need to know the specifics of what are we doing, where are we doing it, when are we doing it, how are we doing it, um, and then where can I access it or ask additional questions. Like, So I think – and then you think about your audience, to your point, or again, about like are they going to be more driven by – are they going to be more motivated to listen to me if I'm talking about data and logic or are they going to be more motivated if I'm storytelling? Content is king approach and then you – like web design, you start with the the content inventory and then you figure out how you're going to lay it out on the website once you know what you actually have to communicate on the website. Yeah. It's the same thing, but just with emails and chats and stuff. Yeah. So Megan Kutz uh, talked about how she uses email. She has a very precision, exacto knife kind of approach to it. When you need to be very, very careful with your wording, where in extemporaneous speech can hurt you more than harm you. And those are the conversations like um, contractual disputes, which I've been a part of. It's very, very important to lay down carefully your argument, and that's where the written word is by far the most effective. When you want to get away from the black and white, from the gross contract, and just remember that you're two humans who are trying to arrange something— that's when being face-to-face -face or on the phone is really important, and that's when that happens, that sort of relationshipy stuff. I think she comes from – I feel like we talked back in the day, Megan and I, uh, back when we were dealing with a client that was like – it was one of those contractual issues or like they we, the deliverable we gave them wasn't what they were expecting, and they were like, why is this – whose fault is this basically? And she had a, a phone conversation that I was on, and she had a very carefully written email, and I want to say we discussed – her background was also maybe like customer support or mm -hmm. like uh, that kind of thing. Like she she is good at communicating in that same way where like you're trying to almost talk somebody down to get them to where you are to be able to then rationally like work out the issue. I worked at Groupon customer support. So get them to stop being upset about their Quiznos Groupon <laughs> and then – you can work out how you're going to resolve it by giving them credit on their account or whatever it was. People were very angry at their Quiznos groupons. You know I'm, I'm talk, talk, I talk, and you talk, I talk better. I'm talking better. Now we talked about, Megan mentioned this working remotely and mm -hmm. how sometimes it's tricky. I mean, I hate saying this because one of the things I love about 
our offices that like we do have flexibility and we can work from home and that's, you know, allows people to truly live their lives while being people who work. Uh, But I do think for meetings, it's best when everyone's in the same room, maybe not for a small logistical check-in meeting. It doesn't really matter. But if we're doing, you know, two hours of brainstorming, then I do actually prefer if we're all in the room together. Yeah. And I, yeah, I feel the same way. I'm like, it's a great benefit. And I would imagine if I needed it, I would rely on it a ton. I just happen to be lucky that I'm close enough to like be here every day on 10 minute drive or whatever. But it's like, yeah, it is one of those things where it's tough. The longer a thing is, I mean, you've probably been on the other end of some of those long brainstorming sessions, like remotely or whatever. Like, do you find it hard to participate in them as a remote person? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I haven't done a lot of the long brainstorming from home. Yeah. But I have been in feedback meetings, and um, Kelly's going to talk about this here too about what it's like as a, a remote worker. So she previously to joining us had a job that was, oh, was all she, she did. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If I have to go into a meeting and I'm the remote worker and I have to present a bunch of stuff or talk through a bunch of stuff, I'm probably going to do a bit more of like either one-on-one conversations with people that I might that might be dissenters in the group or you know, they might I might need to run something by them in advance. Um I I might do a little bit of pre-work so that in the moment in that meeting, it's not I don't have to manage all of that while I'm the remote person. And then post, I think it's like it's like either email follow-up or what decisions do we made, what needs to happen now, um, who's going to do it. Like I'd probably be much more just diligent about like the follow-up to it as well. The pre-post work thing is not something I'd even consider, but honestly just like the cadence in the meeting itself is always – it's a constantly satirized thing of like the beginning of any conference call where everybody's like dialing in and like is it eh? – you, and everybody's kind of talking over each other at the same time because no one's sure when – nobody can queue up when they're supposed to talk next or whatever. And Zoom, and like video meetings, helps that a little bit. You can kind of like see somebody's about to open their mouth and so you should stop to let them talk. But I feel like you have to be cognizant in the room. We learned this in the like the bias training that we did recently of like just – reaching out to the people who are remote to be like, do you have anything to say in case they're not sure when they can jump in? And like, it's there's just a lot of extra considerations that get applied to an already possibly thoughtful, heavy meeting that you're going into. Yeah, there's a social um, contract that you have to kind of develop over time. Yeah. About that. It's a habit too, I think you just need to work on. Yeah. So speaking of other traps, let's go to Slack and the problems thereof. Kelly uh, sees a lot of employee-based issues, conflicts, as she mentioned. Yeah. And she talks a lot about where those those come from. <laughs> I've actually seen Slack conversations done, you, you know, use, or use Slack being used to sort of have inter, interpersonal conflict conversations. And what I will say is it makes it very easy for an HR person to help support it because I can see and read every single word <laughs> that was said and sort of help pull apart like what but I mean when I sit down when I've sat down in those few situations I mean my first point of feedback is always like you guys you don't do this over slack first of all it's like if you know you both at some point knew this was a tricky conversation you need to be able to sit and look at each other and in, in, you know face to face and have this conversation and um, pick you know pick up on 
pick up on the nonverbals, ask additional probing questions. Like it was just not, it was not effective. It shivers down my spine thinking of somebody uh, coming at me or me going at somebody with an interpersonal issue on Slack because I would be like, I don't know. I'd start sending them like giffies immediately. Like I wouldn't know what to do. I would just be like, uh, uh, I'd shut it down. But but you're leaving a paper trail. What if you say something? You have a way to go back then and read later that you were either a jerk to somebody Mm -hmm. or – Somebody was a jerk to you and you have to like review it. And it's like, why would I want to? I'm talking better, better, better. I want you to know that I really liked your comment from our open conversation was you communicate in the medium based on who is listening. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a very insightful way to put it. Oh, thanks. I shared that with Kelly. I 100% agree with that statement. I think it's a really smart statement. Um, my team and I have been sort of designing and building a lot of stuff that the whole company. We're trying to get the whole company to do. And um, what I learned very early, not I wouldn't say very early on in my career, but somewhere in the beginning part of my career is you have to communicate in every single mode, um, which sounds very redundant. And I, I almost, I remember at the beginning, I was like, I, but I said it to them once. Why do I have to say it this way and that way and again and four more times? And, and I just felt like I was treating people like they were stupid, like they weren't reading or listening or whatever. But the reality is, is everybody's very busy there's a lot of communication coming at them in different forms all day long, um, and people do receive communication. They like it hits them in a different way based on the person. And so, like that, whenever I'm trying to communicate something out or get people bought in or you know educated on something or whatever that is, I have to push it out there in every way possible and multiple times. This is why we all should have probably studied marketing as like. And then just also like marketing plus whatever we actually wanted to do with our lives. Because it's one of those things that's hard sometimes, I feel like, because it, it feels like you're, whether it's work communication, personal communication, creative work, whatever it is, it feels like you're you're overselling yourself by having to say something multiple times. You feel like people aren't going to want to listen to you 10 times. And so you only want to say it once so as to not burden people with your message. This is advice for our podcast marketing. Right. You know, yeah, that's I've been true. in this for, you know, a long time, yeah. and, but barely anybody is aware of this. Yeah. You got to communicate with over and over again, different method, different modes over and over with the same Sledge message. Sledgeham me. Sledgeham. Sledgeham you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hell yeah. All that in mind, Kelly has uh, a good thought to take away. Okay. You need to be... Um, okay with things not be not going well. Like I think we can sometimes, without even realizing it, we're queuing ourselves up for what we're hoping to hear back as a response, or what we're hoping to get as a you know back and forth around that topic or whatever. And I think like the older I've gotten, I guess the more that I just have to, the more that I've had to try to. I don't think I was consciously doing that, but I think that's what has caused me to get triggered in the past. Is I've been like, oh, I want to I want to talk about this thing, or I want to have a conversation around this. And I'm hoping and expect I'm hoping the conversation goes this way. Like I actually think I started to play out the conversation in my head probably. And then if it didn't go the way I wanted, I would get sort of frustrated by it. And I do I do I think what helps is coming in with like, look, I'm just coming from where I'm coming from. Where are you coming from? Let's talk it out. And then just let it yeah, like let it play out the way it's gonna play out. She must be eighty to eighty-five years old. Because I don't think I'm old enough that I've been able to achieve that uh, yet. But it's very zen of her that she is able to achieve that going in. 
I still play out the conversations in my well, head. We still need to be thoughtful in what you're saying to people. You can't yeah. just be like, you're a shithead. And I don't really care how you react about that. Yeah. It's chess. It's conversational chess, though. It's like you got to you, – you plan 10 moves in advance and you know – or, it, okay, maybe a better point of thing. It's not unlike the flow charts that we write here at Jelly Vision. You plan for the multiple responses and you have something that you can say back to any response that you're going to get. I think it's okay to do that a little bit because you don't want to go in fully unprepared. Mm-hmm. You can go in without the expectation of which one, which path you're going to go down, but uh, it maybe doesn't hurt to know what you're going to say so that you don't just end up calling somebody a shithead because you didn't have a branch in your flow chart for that. I think like if I commit a faux pas, I've become more comfortable just saying what I did right away and yeah. letting the reaction of the person play out. I would rather deal with the immediate consequence and work through that than like fester sure. and have the impact be even worse later. This is the difficult conversations we'll conversation. See. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Hey, what a fun show that was. But I know all you out there are really just listening for the credits. So for all you credit nerds, Talking Better is hosted and produced by me, Sean Bowers. And me, George Huffnagel. We extend great thanks to our specialist guest, Kelly Dean, and an average but still significant amount of thanks to Megan Kutz, Megan Manley, and Jenny Fukumoto-Pasco for their insights. Our theme song was composed by Jason Knox with Mouth Jazz from Travis Mandrell, and our show was recorded in sunny Chicago, Illinois at the Jellyvision World Headquarters. Now, if you like the show, please tell a friend, drop us a rating, or write a review. All that stuff helps us feel valued. I'm addicted to the dopamine, George really pick a different mode of communication to share that fact with the world uh listen i'm gonna go get help but we'll catch you next time on talking better i talk talk big and big itty bit talk i talk talking big and big itty bit i'm talking i talk talking i'm talking bit talking i get better at just talking gotta get better Oh, good, you're still here. Just a quick final disclaimer that while Sean and I and some of the guests on our podcast are employees of Jellyvision, the opinions you hear are all our own opinions and not those of Jellyvision itself. So uh, again, th- thanks for coming and hanging in here this long. Just needed to say that at the end.